Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's Talk, radio show about opera, period. We're live, WNUR 89.3 FM and HD Northwestern, Evanston, Chicago. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined tonight by Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and our guest co-host conductor, Anthony Berese. All right, tonight, the finish line is in sight for our three-hour epic season finale. If you've been listening to our show live, we're going to take it right till 10 o'clock in our usual time slot. Podcast listeners, this is the third and final episode of our three one-hour releases from August 13, August 20, and August 27. Still more opera to talk about tonight. Oliver goes inside the huddle with American soprano Marisol Montavo. Camacho and Cummings face off in a brutal TKO match featuring a mad scene. Of course, you can call us on the air and get that voice heard whenever you want. 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. You're going to give us your hot take on what we're talking about tonight. 847-866-9687. Or you can just tweet us at Opera Box Score. Post on that Facebook page as well. I have a funny feeling here in hour three, we actually just lost... Tobias Wright, am I right? Yeah, it is not because of our fight. I promise. <laughs> uh, he just passed out for hunger. It was kind of funny because we're, we're all just trucking through. We're doing great. And then uh, uh, Toby just suddenly collapsed. We just had to <laughs> exactly. wheel him out on a stretcher. It was very dramatic. But uh, If anybody saw the movie Midsommar, it was like the, <laughs> the, the maypole dance. So. If you want to... Uh, if you want to <laughs> Save Toby. You can donate now at Opera Box Score. You can you can tweet. uh, Bring back Toby. (laughs) (laughs) Go go to Toby three (laughs) zero (laughs) three three zero. Actually, uh, this has all been an elaborate ruse to just say that uh, Toby's actually being uh, replaced as a co-host by (laughs) Oscar Camacho. (laughs) Actually, I want to put this out there for our audience. Um, If you enjoyed Ashley Hardgrave's contribution to our conversation about. physical health and, uh, uh, what was it, Ment- mental health and physical health for singers. I mean, it's about fat shaming is what it was. Um, and dieting as well. Yeah. Uh, let us know because I would like to bring Ashley on as a permanent feature of this show. So, That'd be great. Some ladies, some ladies' voices. Lots of there. ways to get in touch with us, including the website, operaboxscore.com. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Oliver Camacho, you went inside the huddle. I did. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, about a month ago, we had our Ravinia Festival preview, and we are, in fact, near the end of the Ravinia season. And it's been really uh, an embarrassment of riches uh, this year with singers like Michelle DeYoung, uh, Angela Mead, Angel mm-hmm. Blue, Leah Crocetto, Matthew Polanzani, Paul Orsalt, 
all giving performances at the festival, in addition to their Steens Music Institute performances. And I just want to say this now, it won't matter, but um, on Wednesday, the twenty, uh, the 14th, which is uh, two days from now, Graham Johnson is going to be curating an evening of uh, German leader with the Steins Fellows and uh, just the opportunity in Chicago to hear Graham Johnson talk about, you know, Schubert and Brahms and whatnot uh, is extremely unique. And I hope that if you're listening to the show right now and you're interested in art song, that you will come out to Ravinia at six o'clock. So uh, Marisal Montalvo uh, put on a one woman slash one pianist show, almost cabaret like uh, called Mad Scene. And uh, it's the description of the show on the Ravinia website was very vague. And we had Molly Sender from Ravinia here to try to talk about it. And her understanding was also a little bit vague. And now I realize that uh, the the vagueness, the va- the, va- the vagary, the vagary, the vagary, is sort of on purpose because it, it turns out that it's uh, Marisal Montalvo's sort of story of how she became an opera singer and what her career has been like to date. And it was very generous, vulnerable, emotional. Uh, she talked about feeling like an imposter. She talked about the challenges of being away from the family while you're doing the audition circuit. She talked about a vocal crisis. She talked about being a person of color in this business. She talked about specializing in new music. And uh, one of the things she is known for is for her performances of Lulu and for her concert performances of new music. And she revealed to me uh, in this interview, and as she does in Mad Scene, that um, she doesn't really have great sight reading skills and that she learns her music with a repetiteur. Mm. Um, and she has somebody really, you know, help her pound out the notes and she memorizes things. So she will give a performance of like an 18 minute, you know, ligety piece from memory, which is sort of unheard of in, you know, on the concert stage. Um, before we hear that conversation about how she specializes or what her approach is to new music, we're going to hear just about 30 seconds of something I'm sure that'll make Weston. I'll hot and bother. I already can't wait. Yeah, this is uh, a little bit of Le Soleil des Yeux uh, of Boulez. crazy modern it is I try to sing it exactly like I would sing Mozart I prepare it like I like it was Mozart I try to sing it with a pure sound with Mm -hmm. a with a pretty sound hopefully I don't want ever it to be I I, I knew I knew that new music when I started in new music that it needed 
pretty voices because mm-hmm. there was some really great music out there. No. Uh, and usually a lot of, I don't mean to insult anybody, but a lot of times people who, the, the stigma was the people who didn't have pretty voices did new music. Yeah. And that's not the case anymore. Yeah. You well, have to have thing, a nice voice, Same thing period. with broke music. There used to be the people that couldn't sing. But, learned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, so. it, and now you have to sing yeah. everything. You yeah. know, it's just, it's just you can't get away with anything anymore. So you're Puerto Rican, yeah? Yes. And you're from New York. I am. Are Long Island. The, Long, Long Island. Island. So how is it when, you know, people that you grew up with or your family or your friends from back home, when you go, when you have a performance that's stateside, <laughs> what do you tell them? How do you prepare them for, for what they're going to hear? You know? Well, I mean, I have a great story. I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> it was my, my debut at Carnegie Hall. And I was singing Matthias Pinscher's Rodiog okay. Fram- Fragmented. Okay. That's and on your SoundCloud, right? That it piece? is okay. on my SoundCloud. Okay. And uh, my, of course, that was the first time back in 10 years that was mm. my debut back in the States. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said to my family, okay, you guys can come. You know, let's get you tickets. And, mm-hmm. and they, I have, my family's all over. I have, you know, I'm, I'm the oldest of eight kids. So um, they all, and my grandmother, everybody. So they all came. And and my aunts, and it was crazy. And then my 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 tias, they were like, oh, "This is nice, yeah, I like this. It's really nice." You mean the space or the music? Yeah, the the space. Yeah, of course. This is really nice. You know, they didn't know what Carnegie Hall was. Yeah. I mean, and then they'd say, "Mija, do you get paid for this?" <laughs> Because it's um, fun for you, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you keep the dress? Yeah. You know, who's the guy with the stick? What does he do? Yeah. How come you understand what you mean? <laughs> you know, I mean, really thick accents and stuff. Really funny. Oh, my, and my, my sister would come in. I got grandma the best seat in the house. Yeah. She's in the first row. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know and I, I, it's endearing yeah. because it keeps my feet on. I came from this. I came from lay people. I came from working class people. I did mm-hmm. not come. For, I did not study music at all as a child. Mm-hmm. There was no room for culture, mm-hmm. just pop culture, which is what I grew up with. Yeah. No, I, I, both of my parents are immigrants and yeah. I mean, they will attend the stuff that I do, but some of the stuff that's really deep cut, like, you know, like they, they, they kind of go, Oh yeah. Oh like God. I do a Bach B minor mass and they're like, Oh, their favorite, their, their, their favorite part is when the, the, the applause, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, that was great. You know, they're proud of me. But they yeah. do not understand what I'm doing. My father still... I don't understand what you're doing. <laughs> My father still asks me, Miha, are you, are you okay? You need any money? You want me to send you $100? And I'm like, oh my God. It's Really, it's amazing. They, they really think I'm sometimes standing on a corner with a hat in front of me. They think it's not possible to make a living have, as a singer. Have they ever visited? Do you live in Germany now? I do. I, I do. My, um, only my my sister, one sister, okay. visited me in Germany. The rest think it's weird. So that they've come to visit, and do they one like, just one? Okay. The rest are like, they think you know. My mother was like, "Do they have electricity over there?" <laughs> you know. Oh, I had one when I went when I came back from to visit. They're like, "Oh, Marisol." They call me, you know, Marisol. Yeah. Uh, how do you like Switzerland? Do you speak Swedish yet? <laughs> you know, Long Island, you know, it's great. <laughs> so uh, you do touch upon um, race uh, in oh. your show. And yeah. you are, besides being Puerto Rican, you also are dark-skinned. I'm so, brown. Yeah. I'm brown. I'm a black Puerto Rican. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, that's so, what I am. 
you know, you are singing a lot in these European companies. Mm. What is it like to be a person of color in a place like Switzerland, you know, in a place like Germany? You know? Well, it's, you know, I'll, I'll say this about Not you. a person of color, an artist of color. No, 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 because no, you're, yeah, no, no, you're no, more no, than just... No, I understand. I, I mean, look, uh, I'll say this from the beginning, is that um, it's hard to be an opera singer no matter what color you are. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I, I know, it just, I'll give, uh, I'll say this people of color have an added hurdle mm-hmm. or a couple of hurdles more than everyone else. Yeah. We are also not the person of color cannot be adi- um, adequate. They have to be exceptional. Superior. Yeah, exactly. They will not let you in if you can't do it quite better. If there's a white person who does That's just, just as just well. okay? Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. They'll, they'll get in. Yeah. That's just the way it is. I, I, you know, I don't think many people would uh, disagree. We have to be better because we just have, we have, it feels like we have to prove, prove something twice as much. Yeah. And in Europe, of course, um, uh, you know, well, it's, it's also very white. Mm. Um, and with the Eastern Bloc coming down, of course, at the time I started, uh, there was a lot of white singers. So And a lot of people who are willing to blow out their voices for a paycheck. And sing yeah. very... Yeah. It, you know, cheaply. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it was it was a fact, but um, I mean, I have many stories of being turned down for roles that were. I mean, I know uh, many. I told the one of West Side Story, but it was another one when I went to the studio in Zurich, uh, the intendant or the the powers that be, I call them. Yeah. You know, they. The, I was I was covering Barbarina in in Le Nozze di Figaro, mm-hmm. and the girl was clearly. Ill. She was mm-hmm. Swedish, mm-hmm. and the Swedish king was coming. Okay, and they said, "Marisol, a couple of times they said you have to, you know, get fitted for the costume, and you, you're gonna, you're gonna go on." And I talked to this girl, and she was, she had no voice, but because the Swedish king was coming, because for whatever other reasons, because this happened a couple of times where she couldn't do it, and I clearly heard that she was really having trouble. They forced her to sing. Then let me do it. It was a known fact that he did not like brown voices, and I don't even believe in that. I don't believe in there's a black voice. That I, my voice is my voice. You know, mm. I'm half white. Mm. You know, it's ridiculous. You know, so. Uh, but it was absolutely. I mean, that was his aesthetic. He didn't value my beauty, or you know, at least that's you know. And I remember the director of the studio. Uh, the opera studio storming out because it was so so self-evident. I, sh- I should have got it. They, the, the one argument they said was, "You're too. She's too sexy. She's too. She's not innocent enough." They came mm. up with every reason why I couldn't have it. Yeah. And so they dressed me like a ridiculous twelve-year-old mm. to prove it was the most humiliating. One of the most humiliating uh, experiences. I just remember that because they just dressed me in this ridiculous outfit because they made me cover up my arms. They made me wear a little bow tie and a stupid jump. I looked ridiculous. Mm. And still they said, no, she's just she's too, too sexy. She's even. too sexy. <laughs> and it was ridiculous. And then you know what the worst part was? When the when the production came out, because I actually wanted to, they wanted, usually you, the, the, the girls in the studio get to do that part. Mm-hmm. But they hired someone else. The production was a bunch of sex kittens with little corsets with their boobs <laughs> hanging out. I could, I would, I, when I saw it, I went, I thought that they said she was supposed to be innocent. 
Hmm. And she was, they were all sexy. And that's how I knew they totally lied. Well, is there any evidence of the opposite for your career where somebody really wanted a diverse cast and like um, really sought you out because of your race? That also works in a negative way too. I tend not to like to be cast because of my color. Look, if the person is, I don't know, um, you know, a Cuban brown blonde black girl or whatever. I mean, I understand. I had that part once. But when they're doing concepts, I don't really enjoy concepts. Okay. But they take an opera and they go, we want this singer black to show the struggle of black people. And I just got cast. Someone did that this year to, to put me in a, an opera with kind of themed of Africa. And I left the production because it was degrading. Hmm. It was it was gratuitous. Yeah. And I don't like that. I mean, if you're going to do something, a concept, you better think that sucker real through. Yeah. Because it makes me, it makes us feel used yeah. and exploited. And who wants to feel that when they go to work? Yeah. Nobody. So, yeah, it's tough in Europe. You know, of course, now there's a lot more singers and a lot less work. So they can literally, you know, if they want a Sophie, they have tons of them that are blonde-haired and blue-eyed. So why do we take one that's brown? Now, I got to do Sophie in Rosen Cavalier often. But it takes someone very open-minded who really wants my artistry and can kind of forget that. We all know colorblind casting works Mm -hmm. because ultimately it's about the human condition. It's about human emotion. But you have to be out, how do you say, open-minded to to go. Well, I I feel like, I mean, not having seen you perform that much, but just like having learned about you through Mad Scenes and then looked at some of your, you know, what's available about you you online. Mm -hmm. Um, videos and images and whatnot, it's clear that certain conductors or directors are captivated by your acting ability. Um, You're a very generous performer. Um, You are not afraid to go places on stage, and um, you definitely allow your emotions to come to the surface, which is super risky. Um, (laughs) So I just want to understand, like, how you balance that and, like, is that a choice all the time or are you really feeling those things? Are you pushing your emotions to go in that direction? I absolutely. Look, one, I, I think you're talking about my mother. Well, it's not just, I mean, yes, that, there's that story. Yeah, that's but I was story. looking at pictures of your performance absolutely. and you I look, like, deranged wall. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yes, uh, Lulu, especially. I, I, It's a very sick story and uh, I... I fancy myself an actress Mm -hmm. and I think to be a a good actress you have to go to places that are very uncomfortable well you have to go because it's not your pain it's the character's pain Mm -hmm. you become the character and it's not what you would do but what would this character do or what would Lulu do or what would Maria do or what would anybody right but we all know that you can't sing when you're you actually have to like maybe walk (laughs) up you can okay I can I can well I mean yes of course you have to control it you know you can't go crying hysterically and and singing no but you can find some kind of medium where you know I can sometimes I'll sacrifice sound or beauty Mm -hmm. for expression yeah that's, I, I, would I do absolutely that. agree with I that. I will so. often do that. And has and at the beginning, it got me into a lot of trouble. Because at the beginning, when I started, it was all about the voice. And I would get yelled at from the stage for acting too much. <laughs> you know, and now, <laughs> they want actors. Yeah. You know, there's not enough singing actors, true actors. You know, the, the, the curriculum now has to a kind of change, I feel, for the young singers. Because they're, there's, there's, they need actors. So you were the, you gave a master class earlier today. Yes, I couldn't attend. But what was sort of the main theme that you noticed that these young singers needed? Acting. Yeah, 
emotion, emoting, yeah. you know, um, freedom to use to express with their arms, with their bodies, not locking their bodies. Mm. I do a lot of body work, good posture. Um, some, were, some were language. French had to be fixed or Italian had to be fixed. Some was tension in the jaw. It was, mm. I love doing master classes. It's so, it's so fascinating. And it's never enough time. Yeah. But it's so much fun to work with those kids. And, and I, love their, I love their talent. Mm. I love their youth. I love their enthusiasm. I love their hope. And I don't want to kill it. I want to augment it. Yeah. You know, a lot of times when I was younger, sometimes people were jealous of, you know, being older yeah. and realizing that probably it's over. And I'm, I'm heading there in that, that way now. I'm, yeah. I'm going to I've got some years more in my career and then I'm going to have to segue into teaching. And that's well, the natural you know, order of that. You're still performing. I'm, yeah. st- I'm still working. Yeah. I still have yeah. a career and I'm going to ride this yeah. wave all right. the way to shore. <laughs> but, but, but you are now in a position to begin to but now I'm, generation. But I also see that I'm not going to be running around the stage at 60 years old doing yeah. Lulu. So yeah. it's, it's, I can start giving back with master classes. So if you can remember back to when you were their age or maybe a little bit older, oh my God, yeah. um, and you met Kathleen Battle. Can you share us, share with us a little bit of what Kathleen Battle said to you, or what? Oh, one of the, the she gave me so many pieces of advice, and she let me come to her recording. She let me go to her shows. Mm-hmm. She really let me be a part of what what could be, mm-hmm. you know, and in an extreme way because she was so famous, right? So that was she was the top, 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 top. Yeah. So it was also a wonderful way for me to see how how pressure can affect people, right. you know, and how. You know, it's it was fascinating to see how she never missed, was meticulously prepared, always sounded beautiful, so touching. Oh, that tone! Oh, like, that, right. Always. I mean, she. <laughs> I, I mean, I just up. never understood. I miss up all the time. She never messed up, but her artistry. She was just such a consummate musician and 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 performer. She was really true. It was really she. She was a servant of the music, and that's one of the things she taught me the most to be committed to what the music what was on the page. Hmm. She also told me to stay young. Don't don't get caught by the trappings of success. Stay do your do your study, stay young, keep your voice healthy, you know, things like that. And I tell now the kids stay young cuz they all want to grow up and they want to be big stars like by yeah. 22 they want to go to the Met. You yeah. know, and I'm like that's not realistic. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. And they have to develop, and some may be lucky to have that happen to them. I don't know if it's actually a good thing because mm-hmm. there's just there's just a seasoning you need. You just yeah. you got to bake the cake. Yeah. And sometimes they want to go and all you know, just the batter stirred up. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to eat that. <laughs> it tastes good, you know. One, you know, but yeah. <laughs> it's got to cook. Right, and then yeah, and if they're not ready, then they can and then, get, well, damage they can them. damage yeah. they, they or you know people you know they go and how can you expect a twenty two year old to have good judgment in that case when they're just yeah. I mean really how many twenty two years are like oh it's a new sensation push her on the stage with God knows who big star yeah and they can't take the pressure it's a lot of pressure people have big expectations and of course they're gonna fail because they don't have the gravitas they don't have the seasoning yeah. This is a slow climb, not a... Yeah, we, well, so one of the things about our show is we like to relate opera to sports. And uh, oh, yeah. we, we see this a lot with, te- with tennis, that um, there are these, you know, amazing talents that come out mm-hmm. and they have, they're, they're on a hot streak and then yeah. they, they win a big tournament. And then the next tournament, they lose in the first round because mm-hmm. now the pressure's on them yeah, to perform. It's all, I don't understand. Actually, I, I, I compare singing to sports. In fact, I told the kids today... You're an athlete. Mm-hmm. 
It's it's effort. It takes muscle work to sing. It ta- you you are absolutely an athlete, and sometimes we athletes get injured. Mm-hmm. You know, also about the pressure. You know, in these these sports guys, they have psychological help. There's no help for opera singers. There's no help for these classical artists. Are you know, and in, and and yet of all the arts, this one puts the most pressure on young people. You have to be perfect. Yeah. You have to be just absolutely perfect, the best tone. And half of those kids today were sh- shaking in their in their in their shoes because their teachers telling them to be perfect, 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 perfect. The whole school is just subconsciously telling them perfect, perfection, perfection. Yeah. And I told them you strive for perfection, but you'll mm-hmm. never be perfect. Yeah, I mean it's a performance, so, and when the audience is in the house, they are more forgiving. Because they feel... They forgave me last night. I did a couple of whoopsies. You know? <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's different than a recording, though. Like, if you're doing a recording, then that's when perfection is super yes, well, important. That, you know? or, or as close to it. If it's yeah. a live recording, come yeah. on. You know? Yeah. You know, but for me, I tell, the, tell young singers, people want to be moved. Mm. Crack, whatever, miss... But nobody cares about that if you're truly committed to what you're doing and you're really feeling and you're opening your heart, you're bearing your soul to them. Because people come to the theater to f- forget, yeah. feel, be moved. And when you when you bring them with you, they'll give you so much love and some crack or whatever. Most of the time they can't even hear it. Yeah. It's really... And, and, I, and of course, I mean, me too, I've got the same psychology. It's like, I'll go, so I'll go and I'm like, and I'm saying in the back of my head, oh, man, you cracked that. I'm like, hey, we're still working (laughs) here. That's the other, you know, the little workers in my brain going, hello. Oh, it's like when you see those those figure skating routines in the Olympics and they they miss the first jump. And you see it on their face like, "Uh uh-oh, it's going downhill from this Exactly. And you just, you got to, you got to forget it, pick it up, figure out how to throw a new, another one into the, to the, to the, to the uh, routine. That's it. Well, we have just a few minutes left and I didn't give you a chance to talk about like maybe either your passion project your passion music or maybe talk about another mentor that was meant a lot in your oh god well that would be christoph eschenbach okay let's talk about i mean i had two two guys that were really important to me my maestro of course we can speak about but i want to say something about my coach richard duncan who died last year Mm. um he was my coach for this whole time and i could have done none of this without him because he basically taught me every single note of every piece that I ever did for my whole career. Hmm. We were a partnership. And I can't explain how important it is to have good ears on you. Yeah. Um, and to feel like you can collaborate with somebody. Oh, God. He know. would tell me, you sound awful. Or you sound... He never said great. <laughs> he never complimented me. He kept my feet on the ground, mm-hmm. and it was always something to fix. And he would always tell me when some... He told me the hard things. And actually, I have to say that how I teach is from him. I, I show a lot of love to these young young students, but I'm tough, and I'm I'm honest, and I don't let them get away with anything because the business is too it's too brutal. As far as um, but I I honor him. He is he mm. was the wind beneath my wings, and I miss him dearly. He mm. was very important to me. Also, the wind beneath my wings is Meister Eschenbach. Without Meister Eschenbach, I would not have had this wonderful first class career that I have. Really, I've sung with. And I'm still singing with great orchestras. You know, it's it's incredible. I, I sometimes have to pinch myself. I'm like, you know, I walked in the Golden South with the Vienna Philharmonic with him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is a Puerto Rican girl doing here? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just, it, you know, the Golden South in Vienna. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 yeah, I guess, yes, imposter syndrome. It's like, you know, when are they going to 
find me out, yeah. you know, or when is he going to wake up and, you know, and he, he, his, his faith in me, uh, is unwavering. And that, that production in 2006 in my show, what I talked about was with him. I let him down mm -hmm. and he still forgave me. Who does that? Yeah. You know, when I got sick and I wasn't singing as well, he still believed in my artistry. He did. He, he was always proud that I took risks and sometimes they worked out and sometimes they didn't and he never faltered and when I got sick everyone else disappeared but he didn't and he is the reason I'm still here he is yeah we definitely all need people like that who advocate for us I mean, yes. just a couple of weeks ago I interviewed uh, Christopher Lowry the mm -hmm. countertenor and he talked about this conductor um I forget who it was but in England who allows him to do the ornaments that he wants and like he's a broke specialist, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and just like, says, okay, I trust you. You can do this. Right. You know? And like when you have somebody like that, who doesn't try to hold you back no. and let you be who, no. you, who you are meant to be as an artist. Maestro really, that's, really. That's a really special thing, especially somebody as important as Maestro. Maestro Eschenbach is, is, I mean, I, I love him. I, I admire him. I think he's a beautiful human being. Um, generous. And spirit, so kind. And I always tell him this. I don't know any conductor that really, he's, mm -hmm. he knows beauty. Yeah. He, he, his slow movements are outrageous. Mm -hmm. I'm honored to be on stage with him. He's mm -hmm. such an amazing, a consummate musician. Really, he understands music on a profound level. And that he values what I yeah. do is my strength that I go to. It gives me such a feeling of, of, of how to, I'm so proud of this. Yeah. I'm not cocky. I'm honored that he gives me such a platform to do my work. I, 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 I sometimes can't believe it. That was Marisal Montavo, uh, whose one-woman show slash cabaret is called Mad Scene. And we'll have some more Mad Scene after the break. <laughs> Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, here's a tip. If you've recently started listening to our show, you already know there's nothing else like it. Week in, week out, you get our panel's hot takes on opera news in the two-minute drill, plus our patented segments like Fantasy Fockball, Monday Evening Quarterback, and Crunching the Numbers. But you might not know about some of the incredible interview guests who have gone inside the huddle with our team, like tenor Matthew Polanzani, composer Gregory Spears, intendanten Kirsten Harms, and countertenor Jakub Josef Orlinski, to name just a few. Check out the Opera Box Score archives on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Opera Box Score. And you can tell us about your favorite interviews on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. TKO on the OBS. That's right. That's what you're listening to. Opera Box Score. It's America's talk radio show about opera, period. George Cedarquist hanging out with you for the three-hour season finale tonight, along with Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and our guest co-host, Anthony Bereze. Tobias Wright has left the building, I guess. Is Everybody but Toby. My fault. Yeah. <laughs> you scared him off, Man. Matt. 
He just, he just probably went home to cry, just uh, hugging himself in the corner. To this. <laughs> As so he drifts off to sleep. We, we have just enough time, and we're actually, I'm very glad that Anthony Barese, who I consider to be one of the bel canto specialists uh, in our midst, uh, to help us adjudicate uh, a TKO. We haven't had one of we these. We haven't done one of these in a while. It's been a while, yeah. yeah. And since we talked about Mad Scene, I thought, why not make the Lucia Mad Scene, the most famous Mad Scene of them all, uh, so famous that it made it into a different galaxy in the sixth element. Or the fifth, element. Fifth, yeah. <laughs> the sixth element. <laughs> they have they found another one. <laughs> Directed by Oscar Camacho, the sixth <laughs> element. So what we're going to do today is uh, we're going to have two singers go toe-to-toe in the mad scene. And we're going to have um, George be the judge who grades on uh, drama. On, on on theatricality. Because I can just hear it in the voice. <laughs> yes, you can. We're going to have... Uh, he can hear like the echoes of the production design. He doesn't like <laughs> the transitions. We're going to have... <laughs> we're going to have Maestro Bereze, uh comment and judge on uh, Italian diction. And... Um, I'll be judging whether or not there's a glass harmonica. And, vo- <laughs> and, <laughs> and vocal technique. And Weston, uh, who is our sort of X Factor guy, will be judging. The wild card. Exactly. You're going to talk about the wild card elements, the X Factor elements. So I'm going to set the stage here. Um, we're going to do this in five rounds. Uh, so you'll hear two clips in each round. And we'll begin with the accompagnato, uh, Il Dolce Suono. And like many recitativos, accompagnatos, uh, it's, it's setting the stage for what's happening. You know, it's descriptive. Uh, it uh, is the best opportunity for the singer to act because you have a lot of text and you have a lot of exp- you have lots of explaining to do. <laughs> uh, so this is a great place to listen for acting and text painting. Uh, Oliver, you told the people what the show is, right? Uh, Lucida Lamamore. Yes. So we're going to begin with my clip. Here is my my unnamed singer.
So before Matt sets up his clip and while you guys are tabulating your scores, I just want to say that the audible breath is not bel canto, but I do think that in the recitativo acompañado, especially one in a mad scene, audible breath is a choice, uh, a, you know, a text painting choice. And it's actually, you know, it can be harmful to the voice. Um, it can cause your, you know, your larynx to be high or your throat to be certainly closed if you're making the, the breath so loud, which doesn't always allow for beauty of tone. Uh, but it's a choice and it's risky. And I really appreciated that. Matt, you're next. Yeah, I pick. The, I'll say this is the only round where we're not comparing apples and apples because I picked a, a section that overlaps with uh, the that portion of the recitative accompaniata that Oliver did, but uh, it starts in the middle and then goes a little bit farther because I like what my singer does in the following section. <laughs> So a lot of really expressive use of portamento there. What really made me sit up in my seat the first time I was listening to this is to the way she spits out the word felice right at the end yeah. of that uncompagnado. It was pretty shocking. Yeah, and even the way she says Edgardo, it's like she's really like screaming, you know, yeah. as much as you can scream and sing at the same time, you know. It was really declamatory, so... Anyway, I'm not trying to back up yeah. your singer, but I was really excited to hear that. That's so. just Oscar sabotaging uh, <laughs> yeah. Oliver's pick. 
<laughs> so um, you guys can make a comment now. We can go to the next round if you have anything. I, 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 it's weird because I, I think I think Oliver, your your singer was handicapped by the mic placement mm-hmm. for the singer, and it was very stage heavy, and I could hear her walking around and breathing. And somebody was yeah. coughing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> and the and the sec- and but but I liked her voice so much; it was so beautiful. But the second one, I could just take dictation, like her her. Her her pronunciation of every word was crystal clear. Yep. Um, yeah, it always comes down to diction for me as well. So I would definitely <laughs> give it to the second. But yeah, for for diction, I'd have to give it to the second one. But for just pure beauty of, of voice, I would I would definitely go with the first one. And the fact that I don't speak Italian probably means that it's going to go to the first one for me. Hmm. So the, the second round, <laughs> wild card baby. Um. So the mad scene is essentially a, a extended aria cantilena uh, cavaletta form. Um, it really is a double aria form, but uh, we'll just call it that just for the sake of making this easy. So the round two is going to be uh, the aria or the uh, cantabile section of the mad scene. And um, I will say that b- bel canto in many ways is a lot like opera seria or you know Baroque opera in that you get to the aria moment and there isn't a lot of uh, variety of idea. Mm-hmm. Once once you get to the aria, it's basically one idea and you have to just give it your best shot. Like how can you live in this one affect, in this one emotion? And the emotion in this case is one of happiness, of joy, of ecstasy. It's a ceremony, it's a wedding. She thinks she's getting married and she's just happy. And what does happiness sound like in bel canto? We'll, we'll start with uh, my clip. Before we hear Matt's clip, I just wanted to say that the stipulation for our uh, singer matchup was that we could not choose Maria Callas, because that would be too easy to win. <laughs> and we also could not choose Lizette Oropresa, because she does seem to be the Lucia of the moment. So those two singers are ro- ruled out. Uh, and that's all I have to say about that. So, Matt? That's very true. I think we should just go right in. To- okay. Okay. <laughs> 
So we'll take your comments quickly, but we do have to move this along. I'll just say that it may be the conductor's fault, but I feel <laughs> like the second clip, Matt's clip, uh, that we there wasn't enough space, there wasn't enough time to really feel <laughs> that there was, you know, control of the music. I, I see. I'm going to jump in and 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 disagree with you there because I felt the first one was too indulgent. I felt like the first one I was I was super conscious of the fact that there was a conductor because there was so much rubato and they were doing so many things that would have been impossible without a conductor. Mm -hmm. And I always try and listen to this music with the thought that, you know, there was no conductor at the premiere of Lucia. Like, uh, none of this music had a conductor in the sense that we know it. And the second one somehow kept it, you know, she, she kept it moving. And but I, I could hear her smiling when she said... Echoed ministro, like the way she said ministro, I could hear her that she was spite. Again, it's just a, it, just from a purely diction standpoint, the second woman is just is blasting the first one out of the water. But I also think the first one is handicapped by the the microphones, and I, I just I just dis disagree with with Oliver because I don't like I don't like the excessive rubato in this kind of music. I like it a little bit more straightforward from an orchestral standpoint, and then I want the singer to be more free. But I th I think that this is really. Uh, Donna, Lucia de Lammermoor, I feel like, is the exception for me. It's a mad scene. It should feel off-kilter. Yeah, but I, I, I partially, part of the reason I chose my singer is because I liked the less is more on the first verse of this. And now we're going to go hear the second verse, which is a little bit more elevated, a little bit more gone, a little bit more off in the clouds, and you'll hear uh, how the singers bring that to and life. And George, you can play both clips simultaneously. Or, I mean, with <laughs> that, <laughs> the same that might make it a little bit difficult for us. But, Oliver, we're going to start with your choice. Okay.
for the sake of time, we are just going to do a quick intermission and then go on to, to round four without commentary here. Uh, the next round is going to be the cadenza section, the flute cadenza, which almost certainly was not written by Donizetti, but has been traditional <laughs> since the uh, since the late 1800s. And what what's interesting about cadenza is that it is, in it, in essence, pure vocalism, but also how much can you keep the character and the drama alive while you're doing that? Oliver's Corner going first.
Matt, before we let uh, our jury uh, deliberate, do you have any final comments about either your or my, my selection? My final pitch for my singer is that she uh, doesn't go over the top. She definitely keeps it human. She plays the positive as much as she can. Mm. Uh, and she is not afraid to let a little bit of that humanity show through by introducing kind of the... Uh, a, a little bit of extra oomph into uh, onsets and offsets, which maybe not be bel canto, but is pretty exciting. I'll say that your singer uh, has very good taste, but I do think is limited uh, vocally compared to my singer. I think that my singer has so much technique to give and could really do anything. That's true for almost every singer compared to <laughs> yours. <laughs> could do almost anything with her with her voice. And when we learn who this singer is, you'll know that this singer actually sang this role for 40 years. I assume this was not her 40th year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So we'll start with you, Tony. I, I'm just going to, you know, it's, I liked different things about different people. You know, like the first one, I, I, I loved her technique and I loved the, the, the quality of her voice. I did not like the sort of overindulgent, like histrionic um, kind of approach to it. And, and I think, again, that a lot of that has to do with my concept of bel canto and how, I want it to sound like it. It, you, it could happen without. I, I don't want to be. I don't want to be reminded of the fact that that a conductor is part of it. I don't want to hear the hand of the conductor in it. Um, and so, for that reason, it, it, that and the language just make the second one. The second, one, like you said, it, it was so tasteful. And I think that our idea of a mad scene is very different than what it would have been like back then. I mean, you know, I, I think. Mm. I, I think. Modern ideas of madness, especially in movies, and, and, the, and the kind of over over the topness of it, really informs uh, our idea of what madness is in a way that I think would not have back then. So I think for for sheer, what I believe is true bel canto singing and interpretation. Uh, I'm going to have to go with the second singer. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going towards a unanimous decision here. I think for me, just having that super clear diction and that drive of everything's just a little bit quicker tempo than singer one. I'm voting for singer two. Uh, you say unanimous. It's not going to be unanimous. Oh. Uh, uh -oh. First of all, let me say, no glass harmonica in either of those, so both are garbage. <laughs> that, uh, that's, bringing that glass harmonica back has really only has only been done after both of these performances. Yeah, very tragic. Oh God, that's the one thing I want out of out of Lucia. But uh, but you know, I I think that uh, disclaimer. I am not the biggest fan of Lucia di Lammermoor. I've never been a big high bel canto. I don't think you needed guy. to make that disclaimer. I know it's yeah, a very dangerous <laughs> thing to say next to Anthony, uh, but uh, I, I do. When I when I see the mad scene, the mad scene for me is the highlight of the piece. I want those uh, film, just you know, uh, I want to see blood splatter. I want to hear you blood splatter. I want story. to hear. <laughs> I want to hear. I want to hear melodrama. I want to hear. Uh, really weird stops and starts in the music. I want to hear uh, that. Uh, one of the great things I loved about uh, Singer Number One, particularly, uh, was the way um, the way she uh, really worked with the space she was singing in, particularly in the cadenza. The way she hit those certain notes really worked in that space in a way I don't think. Oh, she sang some of them off the breath. I mean, she sang some of them straight tones. So I would like, say right. Singer 1 had the better cadenza for sure. So it does go to Singer 2, two votes versus Weston's so one vote. The big reveal, reveal, the, the big reveal in the last minutes of the show. And by the way, the, the uh, podcast listeners, 
Uh, round five is all about stamina. So you're going to hear <laughs> the second verse of Spargi d'Amor Pianto, uh, which is, can you fast forward four minutes into the mad scene and still have beautiful tone and still sing an E-flat? And those of you listening to the podcast get to enjoy that. But uh, my singer was none other than the recently retired Edita Guberova. Oh, uh, yes. That was from 1978. That was her debut wow. of wow. Lucia at the uh, Wiener. That was her debut that was of her, Lucia. Yeah. She'd been singing Where? for yeah, like At the Wiener Staatsoper in, uh, with Giuseppe Patanei. And mine was uh, Anna Moffo from a televised performance on, uh, on the Italian national station, RAI. So for those people who used to listen to Opera Now podcast, you know that Anna Moffo was one of my favorite singers of all time. So it's very hard for me to listen to her <laughs> with a critical <laughs> ear. But I finally did it. <laughs> Finally, after all these years, you got me to do it. So. Thanks to Oliver and Matt for getting that yeah. TKO together. Time to wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Well, gentlemen, we did it. Three hours of nonstop Ooh. opera talk. I need to take a nap. I need yeah. to go home and join Toby. While so glad I had that cocoa. But not in the same home. Time <laughs> well, you don't know that. You know, you don't live with them anymore. That's so true. we got two minutes for one round of final thoughts. Good call, bad calls. What's on your mind? We're gonna go, starting with Weston Williams. I think, uh, of course, I think the the best call is definitely going to be season five of this very show coming up. Uh, in just a few weeks, uh, or by the time you hear this on the podcast version, in, a, in what, two weeks? Um, yep. It's going to be great. Matt Cummings. Uh, mine is beating Oliver at TKO. <laughs> <laughs> Oliver Camacho. Um, you heard this in the last podcast, but I'll repeat it again for people who are tuning in for the first time. Uh, check out Anthony Bereze's uh, YouTube page to see some of what he does besides conducting. Uh, he thinks he's funny. Anthony Bereze. <laughs> Uh, my good call is uh, Santa Fe finally doing a real Wagner opera uh, in the first time yes. in their history. Amen. Yeah. Is it a Kinder Meistersinger? No, it's Tristan. <laughs> it's oh, Tristan. Okay. It's, it's, n- it's what I call not um, Dutchman. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general managers at WNUR are Henry Moskal and Somil Songvi. Our announcer is Norm Riddell at VoxerShorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts on Twitter. We're at Opera Box Score. And please leave a review when you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho for Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and our guest co-host conductor, Anthony Bereze. And thanks to our interview guest, Marisol Montalvo, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera if you have any voice left. We're back on Monday, September 9th at 9 p.m. Central. Opera Box Score kicks off its fifth season. Please join us for that. This is WNUR 89.3 FM in HD Northwestern, Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's sound experiment. <laughs>